You're drowned by my perfect fire My <laughs> so perfect <laughs> Father Peter is here. Welcome to the condescending hour with Father Peter. <laughs> I'm not condescending. You were condescending. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. I am Father Peter Musset. And I am Scott Powell. And we are collectively known as the Lank. Are two people collect a collective? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, dude. You were, your bedhead is a collective right now. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Hold on, nobody's gotten to see. I have not let I have not revealed yet the hair. Yeah, you can it's take a picture there. of it. I'll me take a picture you, and put it on social like networks. People, <laughs> are, are people like it when we do that? <laughs> we get so many likes and comments when I put on Facebook that we're recording live. Dude. Or that we're recording right now. <laughs> It's just, it's amazing to me. Dude. Like more than actually listen to the podcast. <laughs> more of you are excited that we're recording the podcast. Then, yeah. It's not doing it justice. That's okay. I know. It's really, it's, well, because it's like, it's full fro, man. So what happened is today is it's <clears throat> super busy. I have a funeral at the time that we normally podcast. Mm. And so uh, we decided to get up and do the podcast the very first thing in the day. Yeah. Well, and, maybe uh, for you. And I tell you what, man, it's a wonderful thing. But we have our coffee, which is nice. We haven't had the podcast with coffee in a long time. I know. This is Lanky Guy's Con, con Leche. No, that's... Yeah, big time. Con Cafe Con Leche. Well, you put a lot of Con Leche in mine. Well, I, <laughs> I did, but you provided all the Leche. Father <laughs> Peter really likes Leche. <laughs> I do. That's milk or cream. Yeah, I like heavy whipping cream yeah, in my thing because it's just so good. So creamy. Well, <laughs> talk about condescending hour with <laughs> Scott Powell. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to be uh, fun first thing in the morning. <laughs> I kind of like it too. We don't have the weight of the day to weigh us down. Yeah, or or any filters, because you know how it is. Like when you wake up, you're or just like you're filter. just going to say what what's going on. We're well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're in the twenty seventh Sunday of ordinary time, not the twenty second, the twenty seventh. Dude, seven with a th- with a. Th- with a th- Okay, uh, our first reading from the 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time Seventh. is from Isaiah, where we've been the last couple of weeks, chapter I got, five. I got my eyes on you, Juquelin. By the way, the 27th Sunday <laughs> in is, Ordinary Time. What did you just say? What's got the my, reference? I got my eyes. It's Isaiah, so it's Isaiah, eyes. It's eyes. A, okay, it was much less deep than I was going. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it's from Kean Peel, substitute teacher. I don't know. So Isaiah chapter five. Well, the twenty seventh, dude. You like jumped in so fast. No, I, I didn't. didn't. We're like know. five minutes into the podcast. <laughs> and, but, but I did. There was no warning. There was. I said it like eighteen times. Oh, okay, and then uh, I mean, or once, depending on no, how you count. I really emphasized that twenty seventh. <laughs> yeah, you did. But, I, but it's a. Uh, Faustina Kowalska. It's Faustina's no. Is it day. really? Yeah, the 20th. Oh, man. I October love St. Faustina. And we're recording our podcast today on the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. Lisieux. Uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. That's a good one. A good and one. then we have the Responsorial Psalm, which is the Psalm of the 80. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Psalm of the 80s. No, but the Psalm 80. It sounds like a VH1 special, doesn't the, it? Psalms it? of the 80s. That <laughs> <laughs> totally does. Oh, okay, so it's we've got um, 9, 12, 13 to 14, 15 to 16, 19 to 20. Yeehaw. Okay, and then our second reading comes from Philippians. We're still in Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Followed by the gospel, which is Matthew 21, 33 to 43. 33 to 43. That's right. So... Here we are back in Isaiah. We have been jumping around. It's it's so funny to me because the first, uh, rather, let's see, the second reading in the gospel have been going pretty systematically through. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going one after another. Isaiah, we've stayed in Isaiah, but we're literally all over the place. 
it's been kind of crazy. It really is. I mean, we we um, I mean, you guys have heard us talk about the structure of Isaiah. If you listen mm. to this podcast more than any other thing we've ever done, or but what's nice? Weeks. Um, it's not our fault. It's the liturgy's fault because yes. Isaiah keeps showing up. And I, we got to give the context. What if somebody's listening to it for the very first time and they don't know about the crash course in Isaiah that we give every week? <laughs> then then we they're have, lost, and the, we have, they're the, going to leave the church, and then or not even join the church. Oh, it's all on us. It, man, it's a lot of pressure with this podcast. It is it? serious pressure. I I just like had a view into your brain, man, into your soul. That's like a lot of pressure you carry around. I carry it all. Hey, man, Put just in here. you know. Let it go. <laughs> Come on. I, I was good. It's, it, let's just live in the musical okay. world. Okay. So, but this is the fifth <laughs> chapter of Isaiah, which True. means we're just like right at the very beginning where right Isaiah there. is like laying some fools out. Yep. That is the, laying some fools. The, the, that is the, <laughs> the structural element of Isaiah right now is laying fools out. Well, here's what's interesting. So I was going over some... St- <laughs> yes, that, yes, that's true. But here's the thing: I was I was kind of going through just structural things of Isaiah because we've been in the second half of Isaiah for a long time, which is the book of consolation. Um, I mean, all of, so here's again crash course on Isaiah. There's two major parts: the book of woes or the book of um, yeah, woes. I think is okay. also known as land fools out. That's land like, fools out, right? You've sinned. The book, of- <laughs> the book of land fools out. Yep. You've sinned against God. You've broken the covenant. There's going to be punishment. And then the second half of the book, starting in chapter 40, is starts with the word comfort or consolation, which is, okay, even though there's punishment, there's going to be re- uh, restoration, reconciliation. But that being said, even in the first part of the book, the book of woes and the book of punishment, there's always, it always holds out the hope of reconciliation. God only punished, this is one of the themes of all the prophets, because if you go through the prophets ever, yep. the prophets are a dark group of brothers. But if you go through them, I mean, it's dark stuff. God is, seems always ticked off. There's a lot of punishment. There's lots of woes. But the prophets are only sanely read when you read them with the view of God only punishes for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of rebuilding, which is what any good parent. I mean, hopefully there's no parent out there that is just punishing their kids just purely out of anger. And and, I mean, as I say that, I can see myself punishing just out of frustration. But I mean, hopefully it's even if you're frustrated in the moment, it's for the sake of this child becoming better and learning something and becoming a better human being. Right. You don't punish arbitrarily. Right? And and God is obviously the perfect father. So every every dark part of the prophets needs to be read in light of why is God allowing that to happen? Oh, it's so that people can be strengthened and rebuilt eventually and actually be the people he wants them to be, not just because God's mad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just a wrathful exposition. But that means in the whole first book, it's it's hard. So we, we lay these kind of narrow um, categories of the Book of Woes and the Book of Consolation. But all throughout the Book of Woes, there's lots of consolation in every other line. So, I mean, that's why I point that out, because there's lots of consolation even in this really difficult passage from the first part of Isaiah. But I was looking at all these structural things of the book, Mm -hmm. and the way that chapter 5 is sort of always described is a judgment oracle to all the nations. Which is interesting because the judgment oracle against all the nations who are sinners and pagans and all these things starts with which nation? I, I, Israel. Israel. So the, the and been really intensely with Israel really too. Intensely. I mean, this is this is like I, I was thinking about. Um, I mean, if you're reading this reading, basically he's saying, "Hey, I have this farm. I protected it. I built a wall. I have a hedge. It's not a farm. It's a vineyard." It's a vine. Okay, I'm sorry. It's important. It's an important distinction. It is an important distinction. So a vineyard. So I have this vineyard and I've protected it. But guess what? It's about to be exposed to the wild beasts. Oh, dude! It's about to get totally trampled and and um, um, roughed up. So yep. I uh, I 
I just am looking at this and I'm going, no. but judgment oracle to the nations. I don't understand what that means for this fifth chapter, though. I think what it means is that it, the fact that the chapter becomes an oracle to the nations about their sinfulness and it starts with Israel says that Israel, who was God's firstborn son, the chosen people to go out to be the light to the nations, yeah. has actually become like the nations. And I think it's a warning Isn't saying, us? who wow. are you to think you're so much better than them? I mean, because again, their job, their vocation was to go out and be a light to the nations. Yeah. They've instead sort of circled the wagons, put up walls around themselves, become nationalistic. And God is saying, no, you are not better than these nations. You know, you can't, the fact that they've fallen into sin, you're no better than them. Look at the sin you've fallen into. So in these warnings against all the nations who've turned away from God, they're actually put in the front of the line. Showing that, no, you're not better than them. You actually are them. You've become like them. So I'm going to allow the logical consequences of becoming like that. But again, holding out hope that it's for the sake of your being built back up eventually. But right now, and actually, let, let's, so we're talking about this in a, in a generic sense. Let's, let's look at the passage because there's so much actually in the text. So he says, he begins by saying, let me now sing, my friend. It's a sad song. Oh, <laughs> this isn't a happy song. It's, it's in the minor key. It is. It's like, a, it's like an Irish drinking song. <laughs> that, that's a sad, right? I, I don't sad know. I, no, I mean, maybe. I, well, I mean, it depends. <laughs> a dirge. A dirge. A dirge. Dirge or dirge? Or, or dirigible. Do you guys, have, you, have you seen the movie Calvary yet? Dude. Whoa, Whoa. doggy. Speaking of sad, sad Irish pubs, movies. Sad yeah. Irish movies and pubs. Anyway, sorry. Dude, that's, that's a, that, that movie is profound. I've never seen a theater so silent at the end of it. Like, total and complete silence. Dude, it was really beautiful. Woo. Because it's a total imitation of Christ. Calvary, you guys. Check it, it out if you haven't seen it. It's, it's not for kids. So don't take um, your kids to it. Yeah, if you take your kids to it, they are going to have a hard time. Yeah, please don't. But it's a powerful movie. Anyway, and it, it speaks to its name, Calvary. Anyway, so I have Irish sadness in my head, okay. in my heart right now. Anyway, let me sing now, my friend. My fr let me now sing of my friend. <laughs> I love let it because it's like friend. God. It's like God being like, "Oh, so I have this friend who <laughs> knows this girl. And he really likes her." I, I just always think <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know why he does that. I I totally love that. I love that 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 is like a universal expression. I think that I think they were using the. I mean, they were using this back then. Uh, so I had this friend. Can we talk about this friend who needs some advice? Like, he likes this girl. God doesn't like a girl, but anyway. Okay, so let me sing now of my friend. My friend's song concerning his vineyard. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He spayed it. He cleared it of stones. He planted the choicest vines. Then he built a watchtower. He hewed out a wine press, and then he looked for the crop of grapes. But what it yielded was. Wild grapes. Wild grapes. Now, here, if you're Tim Gray, he always translates this as stinky grapes. Stinky grapes. Stinky grapes. Here's the thing about it. The wild grapes. We don't know exactly what this vineyard is actually bearing because the word that shows up, it's uh, it's what we call a hapax legomenon. Hapax legomenon. That, I thought you would like that. Yeah. Well, I was looking through grapes. Um, I looked through all of the references to grapes in the scriptures for this one. Good for you. And a hapax legomenon is uh, a singular instance of an idea in the scriptures. Right. Appears nowhere else. So Dude. the Hebrew word appears nowhere else. And so the only way that we really know how to translate certain Hebrew words is to find out how they're translated elsewhere. Yeah. And this one, we just have nothing. There's no other use of this. Yeah. No, in the Septuagint. So when the, except what, for in the Descendant song, "Sour Grapes," but that's just. But that's yeah, that's a bit of a different. Would, would it be sour? 
It, it's possible. So, so it's like stinky, wild, sour. Here's the well. Here's the only clue we have in the Septuagint. So when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek around what the second century BC or so, um, there is another. So that the word that's used there is in Greek is translated as the same word somewhere else in the Septuagint. Does that make sense? So in uh, Genesis three, yeah, the word for what the the ground is going to bear now. So when Adam is is cursed and the ground is cursed. It says he's going to have to toil and the ground is going to bear thorns. And it's the Greek word akanthas, right? Okay. That's the same word the Septuagint uses here. So in the Greek translation of the Bible, that's the word that the Septuagint decides to use for these grapes. I wonder what thorns Jerome did with the Vulgate did grapes. with this. I don't know what the Vulgate says. Because he also, ha- I mean, like, yeah, I don't either. That's that's kind of a vulgar translation ah. uh, but i do find it kind of interesting though that it the the septuagint translators decide to take it back to the story of original sin that that's sort of their tie-in thorns and thistles are, are born mm, that makes along sense. with the grapes which I, I just think is interesting so we we translate it as wild or stinky or whatever there, there's bad grapes right that's that's the idea so yeah. here's this thing well he's gonna the, 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 they're not they're they're not grape uh, oh, that was a, that was bad actually so somebody just hurt got hurt by that one i'm sorry for hurting you. it's all right so now inhabitants of jerusalem he says and the people of judah judge between me and my vineyard what more was there to do for my vineyard that i had not done in other words well let, let's finish this why when i looked for the crop of grapes did it bring forth stinky or thorny or thistle grapes now I will let I will let you know what I mean to do with my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge. I'll give it to grazing. I'll break through its wall and let it be trampled. Yes, I will make it a ruin. It shall not be pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns and briars. I will command the clouds not to send rain upon it. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his cherished plant. He looked for judgment, but see, bloodshed for justice. But hark, the outcry. That last part is really key. So first of all, God interprets himself or Isaiah interprets this whole thing. So what's the vineyard? The vineyard is the house of Israel, the house of Israel, right? So the nation of Israel, that's the vineyard. And so it begins by saying, okay, there's this vineyard. What your fa- your facial expression was so happy to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause you're looking at the clock. I didn't so, mean to look at the clock. No, it's okay. Because I know and I got all rushed and stressed out. Um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, the be- so whenever you see vineyards are often mentioned in the in the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but Jesus used them all the time in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, this is a very I mean this it's is very the, common... this is the core of all of the readings. That they should call this uh the vineyard, vineyard Sun- Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of a song for Vineyard Sunday. Anyway, um no, it's Vineyard Sunday, but but even apart from our readings, there's lots of mention of vineyards in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's always in reference back to the people of Israel. So Yes. Israel and I mean a gardener. I mean, think of the garden. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, God plants a garden. He's building a people for himself, right? This whole idea. So this is Israel. He does everything for it. He prunes it. He makes it nice and beautiful. Protects it. Protects it. Remember, he calls them his firstborn son, his chosen, all these things. And even though he did everything possible, it yields this terrible harvest, right? Of stinky, wild, sour, whatever grapes, right? So what is he going to do? What do you do? And this is, it, I think it's an interesting agricultural question. Because what do you do when your garden is not bearing anything, anything good? Well, it, it, you have a couple of options. You have a couple it, of options. You have to either fertilize it better. You have to tend it more. You have to change. What can you not do? What is not going to help your garden? Letting it go. Letting it go. Letting it be. Saying, okay, well, it'll figure itself out, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is sometimes how we kind of want God to deal with us. 
just let us do what we want. You know, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. And I think sometimes we see God that way. He's this distant, you know, Ooh, that's the kind of clockmaker. He's just going to set it going and, you know, we'll figure it out. He's like, no, if the, if the garden's bearing wild fruit or, or terrible stuff, I can't just let it be. I can't just let it go like that. So what do you do? Well, you might redig the garden, but it says I'm not going to hoe it. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. But an option in the ancient world, you know, one of the one of the things that Israel failed at in the Old Testament, which I think is significant. Do you remember? Have, you, have we talked about the Jubilee year in the Old Testament? Is that did that involve Jews? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, but yeah, we have we've talked about it, but we, it's worth revisiting. I mean, the, the Jubilee year is a very important thing. The Jubilee year was. A very I mean, that's that's like that is a cornerstone of the understanding of the culture. It's supposed to have been. It's supposed to have been, but it ends up falling apart because well, every every you know. So you have a Sabbath, which is every seven days. Y- yeah. Uh, so, which, which is kind of a mini jubilee. Let's is the... just talk about the Sabbath here for a second. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Continue. Go so, on. well, I was just going to lay you have out three the three layers of this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have the Sabbath, which is every um, you know seven days you have one, and then and every, what do you do on the Sabbath every seven days? You don't work and you worship God and yeah. you have family. You do no work. You don't harvest. You don't. I remember this. This showed up in the Exodus story when the uh, the uh, manna was falling from heaven and the quails and all that stuff, and God said, okay, on the seventh day, don't gather any. On the sixth day, on sat- on Friday, gather enough for two days, because on that seventh day, don't don't gather any. Don't, it's not, it ain't good. Just let it be. Yep. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be manna for me. Okay, so that's layer one. Okay, seventh so day. Se- then, then every seven, is it months or years? Years. Yeah, see, so then every seven years, then you would have a Sabbath year. You have a Sabbath year, which you don't do any work for the whole year? For the entire stinking year, which, I mean, imagine how hard that would actually be. I mean, it was hard enough for the Israelites to do it for one day. Now God is saying, do it for an entire year. Don't work. Dude, that sounds Don't harvest. Don't don't go in your fields. Don't, you know, work your crops. Don't do anything. And then what's the last step? The then, then every uh, every seven times seven years, Correct. then you so forty nine years. Yeah, you have what, it, what everything resets. It's a double Sabbath year. So for the forty nine, so the seven times seven years. So Sabbath times Sabbath, and the forty ninth year, you actually let everything lay fallow for two years. That's the jubilee on the forty ninth and into the fifty, and the fiftieth being the jubilee year. Do you, does and that mean the, that everybody has to save up for that? I mean, absolutely. Like, that's like a lot of work. To it's a lot of work, and it requires a lot of trust that we're going to actually have enough, and that everything's going to be there when we go back, and that my job's going to be waiting for me, and all you know, all this stuff. Well, here's my question. But, okay, this okay. is the thing: is mm-hmm. that in Catholic culture, there are some things that we've taken from Hebrew culture. We never took the Sabbath, which is kind of a bummer to me. Okay, I could use a vacation right now. Yeah, well, we have we have sabbatical years. I mean, this is where we get the idea of, you know, professors will take a sabbatical. Yeah. Which is in the 7th year of their career, they get to take a break. I mean, that was that was the norm. That's that was fairly that is still fairly common. So yeah, we do our, have some semblance 10. of it. Ours is 10. Really? That's yeah, not a sabbatical. Oh yeah, cuz Sabbath, a, sabbatical. Yeah, exactly. Sabbath. 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 I need a sabbath. Ah. <laughs> I'm stinky. Yeah, yeah you are. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um Israel stunk at it. but i mean they didn't do it i mean this actually becomes clear in the book of jeremiah that they didn't do the sabbath year they didn't do the jubilee so i mean it wasn't just that the land was supposed to lie fallow they were actually to forgive all debt that anybody had and return property return property return slaves return debt and they didn't do it they were totally unfaithful there's only i think two times when it's mentioned in the bible 
when someone's actually faithful at doing this. Yeah. And this wasn't unique to Israel. There were other nations. Sometimes when a new king would come to power in a nation in the ancient Near East, they would reset everything. Literally, they would forgive all debt. They would set everybody free, return land. This was relatively common, but Israel didn't do it. And part of the reason, so back to the agriculture, part of the reason, so people have gone back and studied this and said, well, here, this is interesting. This is going to sound kind of hippie-ish, but the ancient rabbis actually were convinced. This is the ancients prior to Jesus. They were convinced that the reason that we had natural disasters yeah. is because Israel failed to do the Sabbath year. Wow. It's because we let the, we, they worked the land to the bone. The land was actually never able to rest and lie fallow and actually sort of reset itself so the crops could sort of reset because we worked it to the bone, the earth literally la has lashed out at us, which sounds really like New Agey and kind of hippie and environmentally, but I mean, this is the ancient. Sounds like uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movie or it whatever. <laughs> it does. But it's an interesting idea that at some point, you know, if, you're, if your crops just aren't working, if the, if the, I mean, and this happens in modern agriculture. What, what, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, somebody will farm a particular piece of land and then they'll move on to another piece of land and kind of let that part of the land reset. And then they'll sort of, you know, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, there's a term I, yeah. for that. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I see actually God doing. So I'm going to tear down the hedge. I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to let it kind of get overtaken. Because, not because I'm ticked off and I'm mad and I want Israel destroyed. Yeah. But because that's the only way to sort of reset the system. It Ooh. needs to regrow. It's, it, needs to, it needs to take new root. And that's just sort of part of the natural cycle. And God says, I'm going to let that happen. Not because I'm really ticked off, but I'm going to allow it. And we know, I mean, who's going to come through its wall and give it into grazing and let it be trampled? It's actually going to be trampled by the very nations that Israel, so to put it back in the literal context, it's going to be trampled over by the very nations that Israel was supposed to be a light to in the first place. Why is it that there's a pagan Babylon out there? Why is it that there's a pagan Assyria well, you could make the argument that it's because Israel never did its job in the first place of bringing the nations back. Wow. So now what are they reaping? They're reaping the consequences of their unfaithfulness. I mean, why do we have, this is getting a little dangerous, but I mean, why do we have all this sin in the church? Why do we have a culture that's become so corrupt and so licentious and so hedonistic? Well, could it be because the church never really taught what the nature of sexuality was to begin with? I mean, why was the theology of the body so revolutionary when John Paul II talked about it? I mean, it's because we didn't talk about this before that. Yeah. We didn't give a good insight into what the nature of the human person is. What? Why was there a sexual revolution? I mean, could you make the argument because the church didn't do a good enough job of showing the beauty of the of the Catholic worldview of what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what redemption is, and that's why you see sin in the church and in the world because we weren't the light to the world we were supposed to be. Yeah. And so, in a certain sense, not just oh, look at all of those crazy people out there who are so corrupt in the world, but wow, I wish we'd have done a better job of showing them who Jesus was. So now we didn't have a culture who was embittered against Christianity and thinks Christians are a bunch of morons and jerks and bigots or whatever they think we are. Yeah. Is it because we didn't do a good enough job? You know, I mean, who are we going to blame? You know, uh, who, who, who is there? Who's responsible except the very people who are supposed to be the light of the world? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So there, it's not God in the Old Testament just mad and sending wrath and punishment. It's literally the people simply reaping the consequences for not being evangelists, to put it in a certain way. Your condemnatory attitude towards the basket weavers of America, because all these people who are putting their light under the bushel baskets oh, are... Uh, basket weavers of America. <laughs> it's really upsetting to me. Is it really? No, not oh, at no. all. Come on, it's a joke. Okay, well, it's, it's uh, dangerous no, territory. It is dangerous territory, but I, I think that it's actually 100% true. I mean, that's like 
it's like one of those things where I'm like, when you have it and you're not giving it away, it's uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pun intended. Ah. Um, because you you have to, uh, you know what? I've just made a joke on an analogy or a metaphor that I've never actually shared with anybody, and I'm not going to share it now. So, cool. <laughs> um, but it's a, it, it's exhausting because we are actually really meant to do this. So that's why um, that's why uh, we have to actually look and 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 actually think. Okay, what does this mean for us now? Yeah. What 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 is it? Because because yeah. both the Philippians and the um, and uh, and the gospel is actually going to speak to this. The the the. Yes. It, but spe specifically the responsorial psalm, which, which is so, it's like so deliberate. Normally we don't get such a deliberate, intentional thread. No, it's crazy. But the response is, the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Which comes from Isaiah. The strove is from Isaiah. It's not from Psalm 80. Oh, yeah. It's Isaiah 5-7. Yeah. So that, it's, that's why it's, it's, <laughs> it's not as intentional as it seems. But it is there. It's still there. But the strove is yeah. transplanted. I just have to point out one thing. One one of the things that's very important that this the responsory, reading, not the strophe. The strophe yeah. is the is the little things that are in between. The, oh, I'm the, sorry. The responsory, the responsicle, the responsicle. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we again. I just keep reiterating this. What this reading is stressing, especially for the people who are going to be reading it in its original context, you are going to get trampled down by Assyria and Babylon. But it is not for lack of God's love. Right. And that's, I think, what it wants to stress more than anything. Those first few verses show more than anything else. Principle number one, how much God loves his people and how much he cares for them and wants them to thrive. When they don't thrive, he has to figure out what do I do about that? But it's out of love that this is all happening, which I think is just an important principle that gets lost in the Old Testament. Yes. Okay, so now onto the response oracle. Well, well, it, it's nice. What this is is this is an emotional response to the action of Isaiah in a certain sense. I yeah. mean, now it's not linear as as we would understand, but it's no. you know, uh, you know, you've transplanted this vine, you've drove away the nations, you planted it, you put its foliage to the sea, and it goes really far. But, but why have you broken down its walls that every passerby plucks its fruit, that the boar of the forest lays it waste, and the beasts of the field feed upon it? The beasts feeding, but. That first is the first thing the strove the first like four five things is yeah the first the yeah the, the strove the 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 the, the, the um heart of the what is the psalm. what is the first strove hearkening us back to well uh, Joseph no well sort oh, of yeah well, yeah, I, yeah, well, yeah yeah I mean yeah. we have I mean we have the old and the new we have the, we have Joseph but then we also have Ma Mary and Joseph no 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 what is it Hark what is the psalm hearkening us back to though yeah a vine from Egypt you transplanted I mean Joseph hasn't been born yet. Joseph, no, Joseph of, of the... And the technical uh, dream coat. Yes. Joseph, okay, that's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that, that Joseph. Right. And, but, but, then I, but then we're also looking forward then course, to, to Joseph and Mary. So we're, this is a center point between the eleven. <laughs> it is. But it's the Exodus story, right? So the Egypt, you transplanted from Egypt, you drove away the nations. Oh, what even, nations yeah, did yeah. they drive away? Egypt, who was trying to oppress them, right? And they planted it and put it forth its foliage to the sea, the crossing the Red Sea and the destroying... Um, Egypt oh. in the Red Sea, it shoots as far as the river. Where does the story end? At the River Jordan. I mean, it, it is the the Exodus story sort of being retold. Oh. And if you have the eyes to see it, what's being said? It's basically telling Ooh. people like the people in Isaiah's time, look, if you're freaked out because Babylon is going to come and destroy you, look, this has happened before. You've been overtaken by foreign nations in the past. You've fallen into slavery. You've been oppressed. Look at what happened at the end of it. That oppression, that 400 years of slavery in the time of the Exodus, actually led you to the promised land. It led to God rebuilding you as a great nation. 
So if you're worried about the future and what's going to happen if this foreign nation comes and takes you over, you need only look to what God has done in the past when a foreign nation has taken you over. I think that's what it's trying to evoke and show them. Well, this is beautiful. And why this fits. Yeah, the next to last strophe, it says, Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted. The son of man whom you yourself made strong. Boom. And like, oh, man. That's huge that's that's really intense and then and then the then ultimately the response is saying okay we get this so we will no more withdraw from you give us new life and we will call upon your name O lord god of hosts restore us if your face shine upon us we shall be saved exactly boom it is the whole story in miniature yeah it's it's actually it's the exodus of israel the exodus of christ it is like daniel which is where the term son of man actually comes from Oh man, it's, so it's it, it, it is the fulcrum. You said it was the fulcrum on which everything turns. It really kind of is. Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a powerful I, song. I should have studied that one before we got. I the actually podcast. did study it, but none of those things were what I studied. That just <laughs> came out. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Well, let's which, get let's get to these Roman soldiers. Which brings us to <laughs> retired. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> these retirees. Let's get it's, back to Florida. Oh yeah, uh, it is. It is ancient Florida. It is. I, I used it in my homily oh, this weekend, good. and everybody loved it. Oh, I was at Father Brady's mess. Yeah. Did they? It, that's totally what it is. Yeah, it is. It's a coastal town. They all have their little RV chariots, you know, driving around. <laughs> RV chariots. <laughs> I wish I would have had that one for I the just homily. thought of that. Oh, uh, I love the image. That okay. we do with little dirt, little awnings. <laughs> oh, yeah, the little things. <laughs> Oh. oh, Christmas lights on their little trees. Um, okay, so Philippians. We've been in Philippians for a while, but now we've made a jump. So last week we had that whole, the, the retelling of the canonic hymn, the hymn of self-emptying, right? Man, it was so good for that, for all the readings last weekend. It was just, it was just good. It was, but I mean, so what are the Philippians dealing with? Well, <laughs> this is perfect. What are the Philippians dealing with? What's their problem? Their problem we haven't is, talked about it yet, really. No, we haven't talked about it. I mean, I, I'm looking at the context. Okay, the retirees. There's Jesus. Um, there's uh, King Jesus. They're, they have patriotism. Well, I, you know what? They're, you know what the problem is, is that they've served and I they're do. saying, "Where is mine now?" No, no. Okay. No, I would argue I was, against that. I, I was just, I was just speculating. No, no, no. no this Fine, is I'm wrong. No, no, Whatever, I think, dude. No, I think this is a good conversation. I, I think the problem is they're, they're getting theirs. Quite frankly, I mean, they've got they've got their benefits. They're not paying taxes, certain taxes. They've got their land. They're in their nice coastal city. You know, they're they're They are literally reaping the benefits. But now they're being asked to follow Jesus, who is quite the opposite of everything that the world is telling them about what they deserve. Yeah. But there is where is it? Paul actually says, yeah, here it is. They are being persecuted. They're suffering. Oh, something now. Here's the problem with Philippians. We don't exactly know what they're suffering. But Paul says, so this is in chapter 1, it's in verse 29. So it's right after he talks about being in prison and how people are stabbing him in the back, and but he still rejoices. And if they kill me, you know, that's fine because I'll just get to be with Jesus if they let me live. Remember that whole thing? So at the end of that, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Because you're engaged in the same conflict, which you saw, and you now hear to be mine. Uh, So they're suffering. We don't know what they're suffering. I imagine that a group of people that's being asked to worship a guy who was convicted of the worst possible crime that a Roman soldier could ever swallow would cause a great deal of persecution. And the fact, I mean, think about this. Look look at the first line of this book. 
So if you are a Philippian and you've spent your life, you've given your life to Caesar Augustus. Well, now it's Caesar. Who is it by this time? Uh, Caesar. I, I, it's, it's Caesar. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty important that, it's, uh, it's that we have Caesar. that information, Caesar. <laughs> Come on now. I, I know. But Come it's Caesar. On. So everybody around you, they've, I mean, again, this is the most patriotic, one of the most patriotic cities in the empire. They've suffered. They've given everything. They're the greatest generation, so to speak, of, of Romans. And here's how the letter opens. Paul and Timothy, slaves to King Jesus, to all the saints in King Jesus, who are at Philippi and the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, the King. I mean, every line he chooses. I mean, it, it's almost painfully redundant how many times Paul chooses to put the word King, king. or yeah, Christos. Yeah. So this is the kind of letter you couldn't read out loud in Philippi. You would be put to death if you read this thing out loud. So why are they suffering? Why are they being persecuted? Probably because they're being asked to do something that would, quite frankly, be illegal and treasonous yeah. in their culture. Got and it. their neighbors probably hate them for it. Yeah. So and, they were, and their neighbors were tough. And their neighbors are tough, right? They're not wusses. So in that context, being faced with, in a certain sense, a foreign oppression... It's a foreign impression that's actually one of them. I mean, they are Romans. But Paul makes this huge deal in the whole letter about how your true citizenship, because remember, what if Philippians value above all else? Their citizenship in Rome. But he makes this case throughout the letter that your true citizenship is in heaven. It's not the citizenship of Rome that you should be looking to. It's this other citizenship. So in a certain sense, they have a foreign occupation who's trying to destroy them, who wants them to suffer, who wants to cause them pain, mm. which takes you back to Isaiah, which takes you back to Babylon, which takes you back to Egypt. So how is a Christ believer now, true Christ, to deal with that? Well, he begins this letter by putting Isaiah and the psalm in context, and he says, brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all. Now, why he doesn't, this isn't just a nice little pious thing to say. He's saying this to a people who probably have grave anxiety, because they might lose their, their livelihood, they might lose their homes, they might lose their lives, they might get thrown in prison, they might lose their tax breaks, all these things. And he says, have no anxiety. That's a nice thing to say when you don't have anything to really feel anxious about. <laughs> but when you're facing this oppression, again, which harkens you back to the psalm and harkens you back to Isaiah, have no anxiety at all. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in Jesus the King. And then he exhorts them to focus on whatever is honorable and true and pure and lovely and gracious and to keep steadfast and keep on doing what you have learned and received and all this stuff. But the reason it's so important is because this is the practical application of the sort of theoretical lessons of Isaiah and the Psalm. Because in Isaiah, it hasn't happened yet. They're awaiting for it to happen. They know it's coming. In Philippians, it's actually happening. So now how do you take that principle and live in the middle of it? Philippians does that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think it's so it's so applicable. Yeah. Because we're all going to face our own Egypts. We're all going to face our own Babylons. We're all going to face this. So that's great to go back and look at Isaiah and, and you know hear what God said. But how do you deal with it right here and now? And that's why Philippians is so beautiful. Because that's what Paul's dealing with every day on the ground, real life. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Anxiety. Uh, the anxiety that this is going to happen is is actually part of the is is part of the devastation in just such a yeah. a true sense. I mean, I I think that that's actually really beautiful. I mean, how many times you wake up in the morning and you're like anxious about what the day holds every day, and it's like, <laughs> but in everything by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, yeah. make your requests known to God. God is going to take He's care. He's going to hear you. Yeah. And and Despite I mean. God hearing you doesn't mean everything's going to be great and all your pain's going to be taken away and everything's going to be super and wonderful and rainbows and daisies, but 
he's going to hear you nevertheless. And he's going to make you stronger from that. And a Roman soldier of anybody should actually understand that pain and enduring actually does bring more strength. And that's the story of salvation history. It's the story of Jesus on the cross for Pete's sake. Also known as my, my sake. Because my name is Father. Ah, yeah. very good. Okay. Matthew. Matthew. Okay. Wow. This is like, it's it's really kind of funny. It's it's like, uh, the, uh, the you know how we were talking about the story of the prodigal son? A, a long time ago? I mean, like a month ago. We have talked about that story. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the story of the prodigal son is basically um, Jesus is taking... Um, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, which mm -hmm. would be a typical parable, and he's mm -hmm. flipping it on its head. Mm -hmm. What we're ha what's happening here is we're actually we have the si a similar thing happening. We know the vine and the watchtower, and like th this, the, the Isaiah story is going to be firmly embedded in yep. the the parabolic. Is that I don't know. If that's ah, the, I love it. The, the parabolic. Oh, um, parabolic. Uh, uh, lexicon of the rabbinical state. <laughs> I wow, don't know, look you know. at you. That's a. I, I, it's because I've had two cups of coffee now, and like so, you've been able to process with me yeah. from what <laughs> caffeine does at the beginning of my day into the rest of the day. Okay, but what what what's what's super epic about this is that Jesus is is um is taking this whole notion and he's really making it very clear on how much and how much he's actually doing mm. to support this vine, to this, support this vineyard. That and he loves. That he loves and and why it's it's and 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 actually placing himself in the middle of it and it's really intense. Hmm. This is a really intense moment of judgment upon the people of Israel and 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 actually funny enough, upon us. I mean, about how Absolutely. we about how we can actually treat with those who are trying to bring us um the truth of, of what it means to live and to breathe and to have our being in God. Yeah. And and what kind of protection and goodness we've we've been given. Absolutely. <laughs> you, I, I, if you guys would have seen Scott Powell's face, which it was kind of like a sheep be dog, it was like a sheep dog or a sheep dog. I don't know. It like it was, I can't even tell. It was it was like a boxer. It was like the face of a boxer dog. The dog. Yeah, yeah. Just like with this kind of like, I I can't. How do I describe your face? You know how like dog owners take on like the. Do I look like Scout? You literally look like Scout. Scout doesn't look like a boxer. No, I don't even know what I'm saying now. Never name your dog something that sounds very much like your own name. Scout, Scott. Oh, yeah. That's been painful over my, the years. Anyway. My, my parents used to call me by our dog's name when we were in trouble. I mean, they, would got, they would get flustered and they would call it. Like, if you were really in trouble, you'd get the dog's name. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, man, times brutal. was hard. Times was hard. Uh, so, but I mean, this gospel, it's so great because it, it, this is literally a little retelling of salvation history, right? There was a, there was a parable. There's this landowner at a vineyard. It's God. And he sent, so, you know, the, the saints all looked at this and they said, oh, well, this is a story about, you know, there's this vineyard, which is Israel. He put a head around it. He did, he did this thing and he leased it to tenants and he went on a journey. I don't know. You know, I mean, you have to take the, the parable with a grain of salt. God didn't go anywhere, but he did put it into the control of the hands of men. Which For, is which is the, the which is always the pattern of God's yeah. um love of his people. Is yes. that it's we're not just some sort of alternate we're not puppets. Yeah, we're not puppets just playing in his theater game. 
he actually makes us volitional um, absolutely actors uh, or volitional participants yeah yeah in yeah. the whole plan that has real consequences which yes. is which is really powerful that the fact that god trusts us and loves us that much to actually give us real authority second chronicles i think it is that says that the kingdom of the old testament is the kingdom of god in the hands of the sons of men or the hands of the sons of david so we actually have control so god didn't take off but he does put it in our hands and uh, yeah, so we sent servants. Who are the servants that God sends? Them? Prophets. Straight it's up. all the prophets. And what happens to them? Well, they are killed. They are stoned. They are beaten. Jeremiah, Isaiah, I mean, all these guys, this happens to them. The prophets are down. The prophets are down because they kept saying, hey, you got to turn back. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like cap we live in a capitalistic society, so you say the prophets. Oh, the prophet, are... prophet. Uh, uh, I know. Come on, dude. You, they got to work with me here, man. Oh, uh, thank you, Tom Smith. Yeah, you're welcome. He has a Tom Smith has a great talk called "Increasing Your Profit Margins." About the profit. Uh, <laughs> oh, I should have used margins. Yeah, well, that's taken. That's that's it's okay. Yeah. It's a, it was my hedge fund. Oh. oh. And then he said, "So he sent servants." And then he said, "Well, finally, I'll send my son. They will respect my son." And I think oh, I had a note on this when it says they'll respect my son. The term that he uses is is oh poop. Here I'll find a say for things, you. talk talk about things. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna try to help find it. Mm. Well, I don't know, but it, it basically it means it, it, he should be reverenced. And so it's not that this you know God is is is. I mean that's the thing. God is not uh, naive. He doesn't think, oh well, you know, if I send my son, then everything will be great. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the end of the story. But he's still pointing out that this is what ought to be the case. They ought to reverence my son. They ought to recognize that this is serious, but they don't. And it, it, it proves their own, um, oh, what is it? Their own uh, condemnation in a certain sense. And then he goes on. So, I mean, the, the way that this whole thing ends, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the word is. Entrepo. Entrepo. They should be reverence him. But here's the, here's the kicker. At the end of this, he goes on and Jesus said, did you not read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone uh, by the Lord? This has been done. What is that? What is that a quote from? Oh, shoot. I, I, is it the Psalms? I always want to say it's a Psalm. We always sing it at ordinations. Um, I think it's Isaiah. I think it's uh, Ezekiel. Hold on. It's Exodus. Hold on. It's Genesis. <laughs> it's not Hold Exodus. on. <laughs> it's Philemon. No, it's it's, uh, it's Hapax Laganamon. You're ridiculous. It's Lacuna Matata. Lacuna Matata. That is what it is. <laughs> I, you got it. You nailed it. I, I cannot remember what the. the it, it, dude, this is like an essential part of it's our. It's Psalm 118. Obviously, uh, see that we was all know that Psalm one eighteen. <laughs> no, you did say. I just want to make sure that was the case. Um, so Psalm one eighteen. But here, here's the irony: the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's in Jerusalem at this point, right? I believe. What's happening in? What's the big thing that's happening in Jerusalem right now while this is happening? What's the big event in town? Uh, Yom Kippur. No, sorry, I put that badly. It's ongoing. The temple is under construction. Oh, okay. That's one of the biggest things that's actually happening at the time. Oh, scaffolding. oh, it's Psalm 118. You're you're trying to talk I'm about sorry. that. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 I was, I was... yeah so I, that was cryptic, though. But, I mean, uh, Herod, in an effort to sort of legitimatize, legitimize, legitimatize. His, legitimatize. Um, his kingship is, is renovating the temple, this huge renovation construction project. 
So in back of them, they're seeing construction on the temple. And in the midst of this construction where they're putting stones and they're about to lay the cornerstone, he's saying the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He's saying, look, there's another temple that's actually being built up before your eyes in front of this, you know, brick and mortar one with all the scaffolding on it. There's another temple. He's, he's shifting the whole imagery of literally what's happening. I mean, you love art. You're an image guy. He's taking the imagery of what they're actually seeing every day. And he's shifting what all of that imagery means. He's using the Psalms. He's pulling it in to shift the imagery onto himself and showing that another. So when to make poetry, to make poetry, but also so that when you see another temple being destroyed on the cross in a couple days or a couple weeks on, on a pile of rejected stones of in the middle of a, of a quarry overlooking the vast, the vast new temple that's being constructed on a hill. Which is actually outside the walls of Jerusalem exactly. that have that, that is built up, and that there's a watchtower in yes. the midst of it. Where I mean, like it, it and it's, it's like, overlooking another garden or a vineyard, uh, absolutely, where he is trampled down underfoot. And, sto- and 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 this actually becomes the cornerstone. It's outside the walls of what you're expecting, and it's ultimately a destruction of those walls because it's saying no. Yeah. No, absolutely. U- ultimately, this is too small to contain within some sort of hedge. Yes. I'm gonna. I, and this is actually the beautiful part is the the reason why the hedge is broken down is not because it's um be, because it's supposed to be more expansive than what it is oh, right right it's it, like it, and and so well, sure the yes that it is though it is because it's supposed to be more expansive than what it is yeah, yeah that, that's what i'm saying oh that's what you said i think you said it's not because no 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 it, it, yes, yes. it is it, it's not it's not because it, the lord wants to just right. say I, I want this totally utterly ruined i'm you know what i mean like this this whole like you know it's this whole project is done. I'm out of here. Right, right. But that's actually so impossible to see from the perspective because all you experience is destruction and judgment and uh, right. and and you're like, right. oh no. I mean, where where it's it's like you look at Babylon, but like there's so uh, and the ex the exile that they had to experience when they're taking yeah. it out. How would you ever be able to actually um, raise up even the Magi who were going to have this freedom of, yes. of understanding so that they could seek out the Lord of Lords right. in the midst of this uh, of this um, cosmological poetic expression? Poetic. Poetic. Yes. <laughs> or how, then how do we actually even experience this so that we ourselves can receive this and we can have the Lanky Guys podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, one last point that I think is important. I mean, why, how do I say this? What was the fruit of the slavery in Egypt? I think the fruit of the slavery, I mean, there's lots of fruit. One of the major fruit of the slavery in Egypt, and this is what God talks about in the Exodus story. He wants to be known. Who does he want to be known by? He wants to be known by the Egyptians, not yeah. just Israel. Who goes with them during the Exodus? Tons of Egyptians and other nations that Egypt had enslaved. It's not just for them. Break down the wall so that it can be expansive in the way you said. So, I mean, when Jesus is trampled, when the new temple is trampled down underfoot because the hedges have been broken, he's destroyed in this field overlooking a vineyard. Who's the first person to acknowledge who he was? The Roman soldier. It's a Roman soldier. It is the very people who are oppressing them. Why does God allow us to be oppressed and sort of beat up by people out there? Well, ultimately, it's because God wants them to know who he is. And maybe he's going to use us to actually cause that introduction. He allows Israel to go into Egypt for 400 years so that Egypt can come to know God. He allows Israel to go into Babylon for hundreds of years. Why? So that hopefully Babylon can come to know him. He allows Rome 
to become the oppressors over the Christians and the Jews before them. Why? So that Rome can actually know him. Does that ever work? Yeah, that's why we're called the Roman Catholic Church, because it works. And sometimes it only can happen through the suffering that God allows us to partake or to participate in. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it goes back to the movie Calvary. I mean, yeah. like even in the midst of that, again, it's a, yeah. it's a contemporary expression even yeah. in, the, in the midst. And I mean, we cannot overlook one major um, part of this. Okay. The Why the vineyard? Because again, this all points towards the Eucharist. Oh, <laughs> that's really good. You know what I mean? Uh, like I this is that. all appointed towards the blood of Christ, and and the, wow. the 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 blood of Christ would be over the whole world. Oh man, that's good. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. So that way to pull it in, baby. Baby. Woo. Well, y'all, you guys are pretty cool. Thanks you for are. enduring with us to unto the end. <laughs> unto the end. And uh, mm, and um, we wish you a Merry Christmas. I knew, I knew you were going there. <laughs> Why All did right. you know I was I going don't there? know. Find us on Facebook. Um, you can pin us on Pinterest. I haven't even looked at our Pinterest. I haven't looked at I mean, I kind of just did I the introductory. I getting emails from Pinterest. Do you? All the things I might be interested in. <laughs> Dude, like, just, just click on some of them. I really have no idea how Pinterest works. Motorcycles work. and beer is basically all I keep getting. <laughs> Cra craft beers and motorcycles. <laughs> So I don't know what how you set this up. Anyway, find us on Pinterest. Find us on Facebook. Send us an email. Um, give us a call. Just do four one one. Four one one. That's for the lanky guys in Boulder, Colorado. Yep. And uh, we will see you next week. Uh, we'll Bye, everybody. see you next week. God bless you. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.